You ready? You ready, to, you ready for some questions? My headphones died. <laughs> <laughs> Keep recording. You're fine. Welcome to a special Let's Run That Back bonus episode. I'm Cody, and this is part two of Fear Street Summer. In this three-episode series, I'm sitting down with three different guests to discuss the Fear Street trilogy releasing on Netflix. Today, I will be diving into Fear Street Part 2, 1978, with my cousin Taylor. So without further ado, let's run that back. Here we are, and I'm so excited about this because I have no idea how it's going to be, but I'm sitting here with my cousin, Taylor. Hi, Taylor. Hi, Cody. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Yeah, including our moms. So I finally have another person listening to it that's not just my mom. Your mom is probably also listening to this. Yeah, hey, mom. <laughs> hey, Aunt Beth. And just like that. <laughs> They're both crying immediately. That's it. That's all it took. <laughs> Just a little bit of acknowledgement. <laughs> so I want the people out there to get to know you a little bit. And just like last week, I asked Kristen some questions. And I'm actually excited to hear your answers. What genres of movies do you typically like to watch? So I definitely, without a doubt, prefer to watch thriller and horror movies, mostly. Okay. But specifically, okay. I like anything that's surrealist or postmodern and so to give some examples of movies that i really love please do that i love natural born killers memento taxi driver and anything directed by david lynch (laughs) (laughs) okay so that's actually a really great insight because that means that taylor likes to watch movies that are very challenging for you (laughs) yes i like cerebral movies i like it to be an experience And David Lynch also makes some of the strangest kind of horror that you'll ever see. That it's just like, it's scary in like an existential kind of way. Absolutely. Like in a lot of his stuff. And speaking of horror, since we're going to be talking about horror today, and you already mentioned that you love horror, which horror movies do you like the most? Okay, so Hereditary has taken the number one spot. (laughs) <laughs> I have seen that movie so many times now, and it was so, it was such a good feeling because it it came out more recently, to have right. something that came out recently become, the new favorite, and I at first I doubted it. I'm like, oh really? Is it the best? It, I really love that movie. Yeah, it's it's insane to me that you've watched it so many times. That's one that like I've seen twice. And I know I'm going to watch it again eventually, but that that's a hard one. Yeah, it's when I show it to other people. I'm like, yeah, let's sit down and watch it. <laughs> so I'm watching it again again. Um, but I also like Pan's Labyrinth, if you would describe okay. that as horror. I think it is horrific. Definitely. Right? And then I also like The Witch. So those are ones that I feel safe right now saying I like them. Because, you know, sometimes you it, it is hard to watch. Like, okay, I like The Evil Dead, but I'm not going to put it in my top favorites of all time i just like the campiness of that the original yes (laughs) well it's i mean that's kind of fun that's it's kind of fun that you even threw the evil dead in there because you have these movies like hereditary and like pan's labyrinth that are again 
pretty cerebral, pretty like <laughs> difficult, you know? <laughs> and so I feel like a lot of people would sit here thinking, okay, so, so Taylor can't sit down and watch just a stupid movie, can she? But then here she comes with, I like the evil dead. <laughs> sure. And then even, okay, so Shaun of the Dead. That's a funny uh-huh. movie too. I, oh yeah. Anything with kind of British humor thrown into it. The, right. I don't know the names of those two gentlemen, but I love those movies right. too. So how have how have movies been a part of your life? So I remember growing up and when I was finally able to move from just watching cartoons on TV like Scooby-Doo to watching mm-hmm. actual adult-themed movies, I learned right. so much about the way people interact, even though it's fantastical. But it still gave me insight mm-hmm. into other people's the, the potential for other ways of life. And I remember right. growing up with you and watching movies again and again. That was just so mm-hmm. funny. We would watch the same movie more than once in a day and just make yes. inside jokes about it and keep it going. So it's yes. a way to bond with people. And for sure. I even, so, and then the other thing I wanted to mention is I got a film minor in college because I wanted to learn more about the theory behind the craft because... I'm a reader and it, it's a different right. type of storytelling to put it on right. screen and to, from the director's perspective, guide other people into creating character and moving a story forward. It's, yes. it's an interesting storytelling medium. So I want to learn more of the theory, but I just couldn't get enough. So I just took enough classes where I got a film <laughs> and it was an accident. It was kind of an accident. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. hilarious. <laughs> that's such a beautiful way of describing it too because it really is like a lot of people look at it as just like another form of entertainment and for a lot Mm -hmm. of people and for a lot of movies that is what it is but you can find the stories that you want you can you can watch a movie and you can put yourself in someone else's shoes that you would never experience something like that before and and that's honestly part of the reason why I love horror so much. A lot of people say that, like, why would you want to watch that? Why would you want to see that? Well, because I don't want to have me and my friends gradually be killed off one by one while we're staying overnight in a haunted house or something. But I'd love to see what it's like experiencing that. <laughs> yes. And there's an element of it that's like, maybe if it does happen, I'll be prepared because I've watched enough of it to have studied to the point that I know what to do. Yeah, you can get back to that rational state of mind faster because you're like, I've already seen this. It's just happening to <laughs> <Right>? me now. <laughs> there is a guy wearing someone else's face with a chainsaw and he is coming for us. And it's like, yeah, but that's been so overdone. <laughs> you're like yelling at the killer. You're like, this is so cliche. You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, well, hey, I think people now have a really good idea of Taylor or at least a very I wouldn't say a very good idea you have enough of an idea to understand what we're about to talk about now (laughs) (laughs) because I'll tell you this you don't know everything about her so (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna talk about Fear Street part two 1978 now and I want people to know that it's directed by Lee Janiak so the same woman that did the first one And spoiler alert, the same woman that's doing the third one. So I'm going to be saying that again next week, but (laughs) whatever. We'll say it now, too. It's written by Lee Janiak and Zach Olkowitz. And it's starring Sadie Sink, Emily Rudd, Ryan Simpkins, McCabe Sly, Ted Sutherland, 
etc. There's more than that. That was just most of the main cast that I threw in there. And I say brief, it is like half of my page here, but a quick little summary of what happened in the movie, completely taking out, honestly, quite a bit of it. But the main gist of it... Yeah, I want to see what you include. <laughs> <laughs> so little. The, the film is a story being told by C. Berman to Dina and Josh, the characters from the first movie. Berman is telling the story of when the witch's curse affected her back in 1978 at Camp Nightwing. This film most heavily references Friday the 13th since it takes place at a summer camp with the killer looking exactly like Jason from Friday the 13th Part 2. Camp Nightwing is in Shadyside and we mostly follow the Berman sisters, Ziggy, the younger sister that's the quote-unquote weirdo outcast, and Cindy, the older sister that's the quote-unquote perfect smart one. Does that sound familiar to you, Taylor? Absolutely. The, the older, perfect, smart sister. Oh, wait. Okay. You're saying I remember the character. <laughs> I got you. I trapped you into it. No, I'm just kidding. You're also the weird one. Um, so, <laughs> so pretty much Ziggy keeps getting in trouble. And since Cindy is a counselor and an older sister, she's always mad at Ziggy. Ziggy's always mad at her. And to make it very brief, Cindy's boyfriend gets possessed by the witch and goes on a killing spree. Cindy and Ziggy are separated the whole time, and they're both trying to survive so they can save each other. And for a moment, you think they've done it. But unfortunately, there's no real way of stopping this curse that they can figure out fast enough. And both of them are killed. Dot, dot, dot. But wait. (laughs) (laughs) Ziggy survives somehow. And... Cindy doesn't, and so we learn that Ziggy's real name is Catherine, I believe, and so C. Berman from 1994 is Ziggy. But the movie ends to be continued one last time, hinting that we're going back to the beginning of everything, 1666. Was that good? That was a great summary. Thank you very much. It really sets up for a lot of things I wanted to comment on, so great. (laughs) Fantastic. Most of the stuff I left out is kind of, I mean, not that it's not important, but I'm just trying to give you the main threads of what's going on here. So we'll get into it. (laughs) Oh, we'll get into it. (laughs) All right. So overall, what were your thoughts? What did you think of the movie? I definitely liked it more than the first. I thought it was more captivating Mm -hmm. in the way that I wanted to pay attention more. I liked, I kind of just want to jump into the things I liked about it, but overall, I definitely preferred it to the first, and I thought it was refreshing for a modern take on a summer camp horror film, because all the remakes of Friday the 13th, and some other ones too, it was too much gore and too almost campy, but in an elegant way. Just, (laughs) right, yeah, 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 yeah. So it was refreshing. That's great. Honestly, I feel a lot of what you're feeling. I really, really liked this one, and last week, I think I said to Kristen that after that first one, it was only going to be downhill from here. I did not see how they were going to get any better to me. And I also mentioned that I'm not a fan of Friday the 13th. But that was before I saw someone make a Friday the 13th movie with interesting characters. And so this was just like you said, it was like a breath of fresh air. It was like, oh my god, they made 10 Friday the 13th movies and couldn't make one this good. Exactly. And so 
I liked this one better than the first movie also. I thought the characters were more interesting. I thought the plot was more engaging. Just everything you said, I couldn't believe that I, that they were able to top the first one for me because I really liked the first one. But I'm not going to keep you waiting. You can jump into the good things you liked about it. Go for it. I was interested. So when the first one ended, I wanted to know because I knew how they were they were titled where we're right. going back in time. So mm-hmm. I wanted to know how they were going to go back in time. So I appreciated <laughs> that it started out as a frame narrative mm-hmm. with the journal and connected some more of the characters in the first one to right. give this background story. Uh, and I was also going to comment that it was pretty obvious that Ziggy was going to be the C. Berman, but I kind of got confused like midway. I was like, what are their ages? Which one is going to survive? And how right. is it going to happen? So it really pulled me through to wanting to know what was going to happen at the end. They did a really good job there mm-hmm. in you didn't know C. Berman's first name outside of that it started with a C. And then you right. have Cindy, Cindy Berman and then you have Ziggy, which is clearly a nickname, which honestly should hint even more that they're probably hiding something from you. Right. But they were only I think they were only supposed to be like a year apart in age or something like that. And it was honestly really nice and suspenseful just not ever knowing which one of them was gonna die at the end yes exactly even at the end when they were dying it was very confusing as to how injured they were (laughs) i was like are they getting chopped in half yes i mean how permanent is this (laughs) cindy's death with that axe was pretty brutal that was probably one of the more brutal things i've seen in one of these movies (laughs) right and okay Going off of that, I appreciated the amount of gore that was in this. The special effects were mm-hmm. great. And, mm-hmm. you know, gore isn't very tasteful, but I thought it was done the right way. It wasn't done tastefully. You no. Know, yeah, it wasn't like blood squirting everywhere. It was more realistic. Right. And they gave you enough of the shot to see what happened. Yes. So if that's something you like, they gave it to <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and I honestly think that this this one was more brutal with the violence than the first one, which is strange to say because the first one had that bread slicer moment that I brought up what, in the last Yeah, because that happened at the end. And I was like, oh, right. they're going to start bringing that in now because that was pretty right. intense. <laughs> it was, but that was like the most intense thing yes. that happened. This one had that kind of violence, but like throughout because the killer has an axe and when you're killing people with an axe, there's no clean way of doing that. So they're definitely, this was a lot more brutal. I, I saw right, that. It wasn't a one and done. <laughs> right. Yeah, there was a shovel used at one point. There was right to the neck yeah. listeners, right to the neck. <laughs> <laughs> Something else that was a little different, but I thought funny, uh, different than the first one was that although this one took place on a summer camp, it was less campy than the first one. Yep. They had a lot less over the top. I, I don't want to say over the top, but very specific references to like other movies. It had a lot less of a meta feeling to it. Mm-hmm. It felt like they were trying to go for like, like you said, we're making a movie that takes place at a summer camp in 1978, but we're doing it now when we're just better and smarter with everything. <laughs> and I that's something I felt through the first and second one. I appreciate that they mm-hmm. have learned through all of the, like we were talking about all the Friday the 13th movies. Like, right, learn yes. how to make it better. 
And they definitely made just enough reference that they needed to. Right. To make it its own. That was something I wanted to get into some of the characters, just the way that they did that differently. Like in the beginning, they introduced Alice and her boyfriend. What was his name? Tommy? No, Alice. <laughs> Alice and. I don't remember. Do you know what? The one with the long hair. We'll just call them. Yeah, Alice and her boyfriend. Alice and her boyfriend. Uh, well, they, they juxtapose Cindy and Tommy as the virgin. Right. And then they've got Alice and her boyfriend who are messing around in the other room. Right. Wanting drugs and everything. It's like, oh, man, are you going to do this, really? Exactly. But then the slangs didn't happen until later where you actually get a little bit more information about those characters. And they actually flesh right. them out enough that by the end, I cared about Alice. I wanted yes. her to be okay. She wasn't all bad. Yes. She had a background. Everybody had a reason for why they were doing what they were doing. Right. And that that's a really, really, really important point in what is making, especially us as horror enthusiasts, connect mm-hmm. with this one more. Is It's always been a thing that in these slasher movies, just no one's a character. So like when mm-hmm. a random teenager is killed, you're like, you care more about how cool the kill is in a slasher movie. It sounds so insane to say that sentence out loud, but that is what these movies are, okay? And that is that is what a movie like Friday the 13th has made its money off of forever is, you know, how are they how's this teen going to die this time? But in this movie, when it happened, you thought, "No, like, you know, Alice fought so hard to like get to this point and do what she she was able to like amend her relationship with her friend and like no I don't want her to die and then you have Cindy and it's like I want her to succeed and go to college and get out of this town and do what she wants to do and so you're sad that it's happening and and that extra level of empathy that this movie brings is what sets it apart especially because in the last movie as Kristen brought up when their friends died, they pretty much didn't care at all Like <laughs> yeah, the exactly. next day. Um, Kristen and I were talking about, and she mentioned how this movie kind of fixed that. This, yeah. this sequel already fixed it. You had her boyfriend, Alice's boyfriend, dying. And in the next scene, you had Cindy weeping and Alice trying to compartmentalize what just happened. And she's angry. And it's like there's a reaction to what they just witnessed because that's what would happen. It wasn't just like, oh, man, that was crazy. Let's go find the exit now. And so, yeah, they definitely nailed the characters. Right. And and at that point when it really became clear to me that they were really going to flush out the characters, it wasn't going to be <laughs> what I my they shattered my expectations it was when they got mm-hmm. stuck in the cave in the witch's house. And I enjoyed that part because you mentioned it in your summary, but the sisters were separated the whole time. And I thought that was a smart way of keeping them separated, but still developing the story on both ends. Yes. Um, Because she had that journal with her and they were very naturally discovering, like they weren't just looking at them and figuring it all out. They were looking at their surroundings. They were getting confused. They were dealing with their emotions from seeing one person die and the other go insane. Tommy. Right, exactly, because you have that Alice's boyfriend was murdered, right. but on the other hand, you have that it was Cindy's boyfriend, and up to that point, he had never shown any signs of being violent or anything, exactly. and so it's like, and you have Cindy, who's this 
this realist. Like, she doesn't... Everyone else wants to say that it's a witch's curse and everything. She's sitting there, and she spends a good chunk of the movie trying to logically figure out what's happening, and that it was really cool watching her try to fight the witch curse thing from, like, every angle and over the course of the movie kind of, like, losing and losing and losing until she realizes that, okay, this is actually magic. Exactly. Because you did get that head injury earlier in the day. It was acting right. strange. So it, it didn't make her seem completely wrong to try to figure it out. Because she right. had a reason to, to latch on to. I mean, it could have been the, the Tylenol. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is right. also kind of a weird connection from the first movie. Like, what is she doing now? <laughs> <laughs> the nurse? Yeah, the nurse. Because the nurse was in the first movie. She was the friend who had the, went through the bread slicers neighbor no way really yeah run it back <laughs> I will. <laughs> well done taylor i will run that back that is an amazing connection and you're right it makes me wonder like as of now they have her on attempted murder i mean you're the lawyer like what i guess she yeah. didn't murder anyone she can be back at her house <laughs> it's been like 20 years <laughs> but that's something to pay attention to in the third movie too oh yeah 100 percent. because well you know you bring up a good point because from the first movie, we're kind of going all over the place. Listeners try to follow. Okay. Because I don't care. (laughs) But in the first movie, it's set up that the younger brother, Josh has this person that he chats with on AIM about the witch's curse and everything. Right. And this second movie did nothing to further that plot point. So I feel like this third movie, we're I feel like we're just going to have to find out who's on the other end of that online chat. And you honestly, you're kind of making a point for me that it could be the nurse from the second movie. Like, because she's still around. She knows a lot about the the shit. Yes. Her daughter Maybe was chatting the up. one who was the chosen murderer for the witch in the 1950s. Right. Did you have any other good things you liked? A few. And I can just kind of list them if you want to talk. I like that they explored it sister relationship because it was very realistic mm-hmm. and it was something mm-hmm. that would have reached a breaking point at a summer camp where the sister right. who's already a realist who's a control freak is now in the position of power and the one who's the yes. outcast is is in an isolated situation where the bullies can just get her take her out to right the woods it's, it can be a scary time at summer camp if you're because you're isolated and if something right starts to brew if you really get to this point, because everyone feels free to do what they want outside right. of society. And speaking to the characterization, especially of the sister, I like how it kind of unfolded throughout that at first you just see them as the archetypes because you don't know right. anything. Mm-hmm. So you see the sister as, oh, she's the control freak. She's the one that wants everything to be perfect. But then as time goes on, you find out that their father left them. And not only did he leave them, but to be with a woman that's pretty much her age, um, mm-hmm. Cindy's age, you find out that their mom just started drinking and is pretty much absent in that way. And so you start putting the pieces together that, okay, like Sid- Cindy's the parent in this relationship. And so she's gone from, oh, I used to have fun with my sister. Now I'm the one that has to figure out what we're doing because otherwise, like, no one's going to keep us in check. And so it kind of added this extra layer as you go down that they're not just these archetypes that you think they are. Yes. And I like that it 
they de- they developed their relationship, explored that, and that at the very at the end they were just going all out, making the action scenes actionful to save each other, <laughs> and it yes. was really about saving each other because they were separated. Yes, um, it wasn't really about everybody else; it was about their family. Right. So tragic, and that's why I'm sad when she dies. Right. <laughs> yes. What else? Okay, so I also there were some scenes in the beginning half of it where it was daytime outside or I think it was but they were in buildings and it was dark something that I see in horror movies often is just it's too dark you can't even see what's going on and so right. I didn't remember that but the second half when all the action was going on you could see everything clearly and that's something that I appreciated they actually mm-hmm. paused the camera on Tommy's face when he was coming through the door there weren't and another thing that I maybe correct me if I'm wrong but I don't remember there being many jump scares and I always appreciate right. that in a horror movie. Yes. <laughs> Where they because they... the horror mm-hmm. is that he's there, not that he yes. surprised you that he's there. <laughs> exactly. And I and something I noticed more in this one because I was paying attention more was the the sound. So the score was very short. They didn't put too many songs in, but the sound right. and the background music really pulled through those horror moments. And I like that they did 100%. that more than doing jump scares. Um, yes. I think those are... That basically hits everything I liked about it. <laughs> and honestly, you said a lot of what I had because I, I, the only things that that you didn't say is that I liked, I liked that they had that color war going on at the camp, and that that was the setting that this was taking place at. Like, because they have these Sunnyvale people and these shady side people, and they were having. A color war, which is something that happens at a lot of camps where you have the blue team and the red team, and they were pretty much playing hide-and-seek in a way, like Manhunt. And so, you know, it was exciting that they had that happening while there's also a mass murderer on the loose. So, like, and that mass murderer is a counselor. So if you're hiding and playing this game and you see a counselor coming towards you, you think it's part of the game. It's not like... You should be scared. Now, he was covered in blood, and that is something that should have been alarming to a lot of people, but it's still a horror movie. (laughs) But uh, my favorite reference so far in the series was the snake in the science and nature part, that this was one that is almost so subtle that I'm not 100% sure if it's fully a reference, but I feel like it has to be. Please tell me, because I remember specifically that scene. The snake comes out of nowhere. Well, you see Tommy, then you see the snake. Then when they leave, they zoom in on the right. science and nature sign. That's That zoom in on the sign, I genuinely have no idea oh, why okay. they zoomed in on it that hard. <laughs> but in the original Friday the 13th, spoiler alert for anyone that doesn't like hearing about animal cruelty. In the original Friday the 13th, there's a scene where a snake is a jump scare. Like, in the cabin, a girl sees a snake and goes, oh, it's a snake. And a guy cuts it in half and kills it. And that was real. They, like, actually did that. Oh, I didn't know Because, and it wasn't in the script or anything. It was just like, oh, hey, a snake. Like, we should kill it on camera. So, that's another reason I hate Friday the 13th. But anyway, (laughs) in this movie, the killer sees the snake in the thing and i was sitting there like they're gonna kill a snake i mean not in real life because we're not as cruel nowadays but they're probably gonna cut this snake in half instead he released the snake and it was free and so i was like i feel like that's a direct reference to friday the 13th and they're saying we're not gonna kill a snake we're gonna set it free out of its cage 
I don't and doubt so, that that is what they were doing because <laughs> I didn't be. I didn't think of the reference, but I did. Right. I was a little confused that they didn't do anything. They just let the snake crawl over them. <laughs> right. Like, thank you. The snake's not going to hurt you if you just leave it alone. Yes. <laughs> and then they did. I was like, that was nice. That was very nice. Because <laughs> I was sitting there like, they're not going to be holding a venomous snake in this camp. Like, it's probably a harmless snake. I mean, I can't read snake patterns. I don't know. It could have been a venomous snake, but maybe they milked it. I don't know. But either way, um, that was a good scene. It made me start thinking, we don't have to get into this at all, but it made me think, like, how sentient is Tommy right now? Because that felt like he was not super mindless. It thought, like, oh, I'll, I'll release the snake. The snake will scare them out of where they're hiding, and I'll kill them. Like, I felt like there was, like, almost, like, a little bit of a thought process there. And I thought that he was just a mindless, possessed puppet of a witch. So I don't know. Maybe we'll find out more about that. Was there anything that you thought was not as good in this one? I think you need to start because it's hard for me to put my finger on it. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you this, guys. I only have one thing. Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) Yes. So while I already mentioned that this one's super brutal, and what's funny is it's something that I feel like you actually brought up as something that you, you liked how they showed the violence in this one. I felt like if we're going for what a slasher movie is, there was not a lot of creativity in the ways that people died. Like there was a scene, such a sad scene with that, that poor little nerdy boy that was trying to make everyone's day so much better. And he got killed. And I could see on your face that that one scarred you. It was horrible. The fact that they had children die. (laughs) Yes, they, they did. <laughs> you know, I was like, whoa. No one's ever going to believe... This one was a lot darker than the first one, for sure. And yeah. But I felt like I kept expecting them to do something a little bit different than just axe kill. And they pretty much just did axe kill the entire movie, which obviously was a choice. Like, I think part of it was that they were trying to make it more brutal than fun. Like, I think that was a choice they made. Right, more brutal than fun. Right, exactly. And there was a scene where, with that poor little nerdy kid, that he was, like, in that room, and Dylan, who I'm trying to teach about horror films, so I was so proud of him that he said this, but (laughs) behind the kid, there was, like, a bandsaw. Like a, like a table saw, not a bandsaw, a table saw. Right, one right. of the ones with the big rotating things. And he was like, I'm not liking the look of that saw. Like, this kid's going to be thrown on the saw, right? And then three seconds later, he was dead by an axe. Like, they didn't do anything interesting in that sense. It was like, no, like, we're not doing, like, a fun thing. And so I think that was part of the choices they were making, but I expected it to go a different way. So I was like, eh, I don't know, whatever. Um and that's the only negative I have. <laughs> to comment on it is I had commented that it wasn't campy. And to do any of right. those fun, unexpected, creative killings for a right. slasher movie would have elevated it to that fun, self-aware right. <laughs> campiness that they really yes. were going for. Because what they it seemed like what they were trying to do was make you... They were really concentrating on character. And to do that... Yes in the amount of time span that they had without really detracting from everything to yes have a funny scene because there wasn't that much humor in it at all right um, there wasn't <laughs> that it would have detracted from the emotional depth that they were trying the to theme. get to it would yeah the theme that they were going yeah, for yeah. and i completely agree with you so i'm glad we had this talk 
I'm trying to think of anything specifically that I would say I didn't like. And I feel like I'm going right. to get too nitpicky because when I That's was fine. S- setting out to give a rating, I went into lots of different categories. And one yeah. that consistently didn't get a very good score was acting. Because okay. it wasn't necessarily that the acting was bad. I think it was better than the first one. Uh, it Same. might have been just the writing and the way that they were you know, put in scenes together. But um, I do think that some of the scenes seemed a little mechanical where it was just like a person standing on the other side of another person or lined right. up in a way. And what you're describing is like the blocking of it, like the literally the where the director is putting the characters in the scene was a little bit un- like, you know, just not interesting to you. Right. And then I guess another thing, which does go into one of my questions, it's just I I'm trying to keep track of what happened in the first movie with the witch and then now. So because it was a frame right. story at the beginning and the end, it was a little it might have just been me and I could watch it again and really seal up any questions some some of the questions, but right. it felt a little jarring to come back to modern day with those other characters right. and think, okay, well wait, what do they have to do now? That other story was right. fantastic. But what does it all mean? Yes. <laughs> yes. I completely know what you mean. And right. what's kind of funny is, you, just like you said, we might get into nitpicking. And you can really look at any movie and start pulling at the threads. And it's going to start, like, falling apart no matter what. But, like, even I was on Reddit looking at what some people were saying about it. <laughs> and one thing that I thought stuck out that was funny to me was that you're told this story with this hidden thing which sister's gonna die right and at the end of the story c berman gets to that and it cuts back to these kids in present day and they're like you're ziggy the only way that they would be surprised at that point is if she was telling the story in third person the entire time like wouldn't she have (laughs) been orally telling the story saying my sister cindy (laughs) yes because you know the whole She's supposed to be reading out of a journal. It's a frame story. and right. But she still yet knew what her sister was doing in that cave to be able to tell that yes. part. And then yes. she said in the beginning, she's like, this is a story of how my sister died. So right. <laughs> right. when she comes out, it's like she had to have told that a certain way so that they would have known. Right. <laughs> she would have been like, this is the story of how my sister died. So Ziggy comes out and starts speaking to Cindy. And it's like, why are you talking like this? (laughs) I thought you were one of them. Which, that's another thing that someone pointed out that C. Berman's dog's name is Major Tom in a reference to the David Bowie song Space Oddity. And then her nickname is Ziggy in a reference to Ziggy Stardust Mm -hmm. from David Bowie. So that was another thing that we... I don't know if you picked up on it that we should have just been like, she's I Ziggy. <laughs> I, I picked up on that. I thought it was a cute reference. It is cute. <laughs> yes. Yeah, let's go. I want to hear what your questions are about the movie. What were you left just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> all right. Maybe I just missed something. But with uh, right. C. Berman, why does she have all those clocks in her house that are giving her alarms as to what's going on? That's a very good question. The only thing that I can think of and this is obviously just my interpretation, is that they're just trying to show that she's insanely structured. She must have some sort of very specific schedule that's for her every day to the point that she needs, what was it, like 50 alarm clocks in her house? And they're all over the shelf behind her. And I right. almost, I kind of noticed it, but I just thought, oh, she's eccentric. She's 
gone through trauma. Something's going on. Right. But then when she finished the story and one of the alarms went off, I was like, did she just time herself? Did she just give the kids like 50 minutes and she was going to give them that much time? Well, that's, <laughs> like, okay, you know bye, what? Kids. That's a, that's a good question. That's a good point because the first clocks, they showed you what the clock was for. They showed you that one of them was like, eat your dinner. And one of them was like, feed major Tom and all that stuff. So then one of them was like, lock up like go to bed pretty much and then she got interrupted from going to bed and had to tell this story so presumably it's like two in the morning three in the morning at this point so why the fuck is this clock going off what does that have to do with is it just like check check your perimeter it's three in the morning you've been sleeping for a bit like Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's a good question another one was what exactly is that pulsating thing in the cave i'm thinking we don't know we don't know yet I was wondering right. if you wanted to yeah let's speculate speculate because i mean when dina finally puts the final piece of the skeleton together she's mm-hmm. then transported to the next film but right like, when they touched the pulsating thing in the cave when she touched it the looked skeleton, like a giant heart but it also just looked like a giant mass of nothing i don't know right i'm just i guess i'm excited to see the last one because i do have some questions that can be answered and i want to know how powerful is this witch really? What was so horrible that happened to her? Because she's, you know, we've seen witches in other movies. And she just seems relentless to this point where it's like... Yes. <laughs> she doesn't even want to be happy again. It's, it's, it's over for her. <laughs> Sarah Fear has no chill. That's no that's chill. true. Right. And, and <laughs> what I keep going back to is, are they going to show that she wasn't a witch and that it was just, you know another witch hunt or something but then at the end of the day she cut off her hand put a curse on the town that's still going to this day so she had some sort of magic she's probably a witch but why also is it only shady siders because only shady siders are killed the killers just go right past any sunnyvale people so like you know why and they keep referencing the mayor of this town as if that's gonna matter like maybe Maybe he looks after the giant pulsating thing in the cave or something, and I don't know. Hopefully we learn about it. Wouldn't that be great if they just never even told us what that was? <laughs> I don't know. I was very fascinated by that cave, though. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, 100%. And then I also want to know, how are they... I might have been missing something, but how are they being possessed? Like, how are they being chosen? Because their names were written yeah. on the wall in her home. Right. I'm sure if they panned right, they would have shown... The next few people to have warned everyone. Right. Because it landed on Tommy's name. But But that's another question that I had. Is the first movie, the very end of it, showed specifically Sam's name being carved into it. Like that night when she got possessed. But Tommy's name was carved into it before he got possessed. Exactly. And so, like, it's weird to me that it's not consistent. And... Ziggy's nose started bleeding and they kind of like were referencing as if she was now the one that was being chosen next but then her name's not on the wall as far as we've seen right so, they just went after her like right for why I don't know that's the thing a nosebleed that's the other thing is that it seems like the witch can make anyone anyone's nose bleed when she wants so it's like she was right egging you know getting Ziggy to bleed on the hand so that she could find her Right, the life source so she could track them. But I remember in the first movie when the group with Sam's group of people were 
following the bus, throwing right. things at the bus. And then Dina turns yes. around and she's going to do something violent. She's going to throw the uh, cooler at them. She gets a nosebleed and then later blames yes. it. She says, well, I had a nosebleed as if that's like a known thing in Shadyside that when you get a nosebleed, that she, yes. she's coming after you. I think that's a really good idea. And they also had that like her and her brother had that unspoken moment at the end of this one, Dina and her brother, where she said, I'm going to go put Sarah Fear's hand with the rest of her remains. Um, Cause that's the kind of thing they say in these movies. And her <laughs> nose started bleeding right. and her brother gave her like a knowing look, like I don't think you should be going by yourself. And she was like, peace. So <laughs> I don't know if that's just that he's kind of learned from Sam that her nose was bleeding or if you're right, maybe there's some sort of like horror story that's that the kids tell that if your nose bleeds, that's Sarah Fear. Yeah. So, I mean, those are some things I think can get wrapped up. I think it's all I, I hope that the last one ties everything together, because once we know Sarah Fear's story, then we'll know a lot more about what the character's background was, all the war that they actually grew up with. And I feel like this is a good place to transition into what we expect of the next sure. movie even before we give our rating i know la in the last episode we gave our rating before this but this just feels like a good place to talk sure. about it that at the end of this movie dina is able to put sarah fear's hand back with the rest of her remains and like when she does it she is transported back in time to 1666 when sarah fear was killed and i feel like that's gotta be Sarah Fear wanting to show her what happened like why bring her back which to me makes me feel like there's something we don't understand about all of this yes it, it, which starts making me think that maybe Sarah Fear isn't the bad guy I'm just thinking we don't know the story someone else told the story right in a, a lot of horror films when the supposed bad guy gives you a flashback like yes <laughs> It's supposed to make you sympathetic to them because, oh, no, you have to see it through my eyes to understand. I would like there to be some kind of twist where it's not, oh, be sympathetic to me. It's a, let me show you really how much this is never going to end for you. (laughs) But Yes, that would be great. Wouldn't it be great if it's like, I just want to show you what happened. And Dina's like, oh, so you can show me why you're actually innocent. And she's like, no, so I can show you why all of you need to fucking die. Like, (laughs) that's why I'm showing you this. Yeah, because I remember in, like, The Ring. <laughs> yes. When she gives her the flashback, you're like, oh, that's so sad, and it's so sweet, right. and the sun comes out, right. and it never ends. <laughs> so. It doesn't, exactly. <laughs> I love, thanks for bringing up The Ring. That You didn't mention The Ring, by the way, but The Ring is one of my all-time favorites. I love that I movie. I can't believe I didn't. But I think I think that one I've beaten to death, like, watching it. Oh, I've yeah. Like a dead horse flying off the side of a uh, ferry. (laughs) For those that know, you know. But you were... Another thing is this whole time, I think I said it in the first podcast, that I don't know if it sounds super interesting going back into that time period of the 1600s, especially after coming off of something that's as, you know, interesting as the 1970s. But in the little flash forward that they give you of what's coming next week... Um, I don't know if you watch those, but they showed that all the characters are going to be the actors from the previous movies playing these different roles. And that instantly made it so interesting to me. (laughs) 
Oh, because they're the ancestors. I don't know. I, I was a little confused. I don't like, know. Did everyone go back in time? Is everybody having I'm thinking that it's like, <laughs> Dina, you're going to see the actress that plays Dina. But, like, she's going to be in the role of Sarah Fear. Like, right. that's what I think is, like, happening. And so it's going to be like, oh, and Sarah Fear had a brother. And then, like, there's Josh or something, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it is definitely... I like the way that they're showing that it's going to 100% connect around to everything that we've seen so far. Because you're going to have the actress that played Ziggy. And you're going to have the actress that played Kate. And, like, everyone's coming back to this. So right. it's just got a really just the little flash forward it showed had a really fun like finality to it yes what i'd like to see to bridge together the first and second movie into the mm -hmm. into some a similar theme in the third and with mm -hmm. exposition and everything would be to explore some of the psychological elements of what's going on in the modern day characters lives and I want, you know, I'd like to see a lesson learned of some sort. I don't know what it would be, but. <laughs> right. And you know what? And Kristen brought up that she felt like the first movie didn't have much of like a lesson. Like, <laughs> and, and this second movie, there was definitely a lot, a lot to be said about loving your sister, I guess. But there wasn't like, still, there wasn't like a clear, like, this is the point that we're trying to make. And so maybe it's going to be a trilogy-wide point. Maybe you're right. Hopefully that does happen. Oh, I just hope... I mean, I have hope for it now after watching the second movie. I want them to tie it right. up nice and neatly and you know, with satisfaction for the audience so that I can right. go and actually tell them, you know, you got to watch all three. It's great. <laughs> you know? So far, I definitely recommend the first two. Yes, and I, I hope that it also does that for the same reason in the sense that I hope that we're able to then go back and watch the first two happily knowing what's coming in the third one. Like hopefully they nail it so that I want to rewatch all of them again. How would you rate this movie? You already said you would definitely recommend the first two, but how would you rate it? Uh, well, I, I broke it out into categories. I averaged okay. out, it came up <laughs> to a four out of five, which is pretty good. Okay. That's just because that is, and it wasn't. It wasn't like I, I didn't have to ding it too much for everything. Right. I think the the parts I liked the most were the editing, because mm -hmm. it was pretty. They did a great job editing it. I also mentioned the sound and the score. This this the the music they chose to include was familiar. The little bits and mm -hmm. the generation now having you know right. heard the classics, to us and then whoever was alive back then. They're right. bops, right? A hundred percent. And then also because the sound too, I had to give it a five out of five because I appreciated that they didn't have ee, 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 or anything yeah. super yeah. loud. It all was seamless. And then I had already mentioned some of my issues with the acting and blocking. So I gave acting a 3.5 out of five. <laughs> That's but fine. I know they're young actors. That's okay. They were working with what they had. They were. I mean, there's no natural way to just drop Shagalicious into... I know! She that exactly. <laughs> that was when I was like, oh, man. <laughs> they said it. <laughs> and then, going with that, the directing was pretty good. I think that for the action scenes and the death scenes, they did a pretty good job. And then the writing, I think overall, I gave it a 3.5 out of 5 for writing. Okay. Just because I think they... I don't know how R.L. Stein's original novel was and how much they had adapted it from the original story. 
But I right. think there's, there still was room for improvement, though. I, I know that they've been working on this for a long time. Um, yes. And I think they got to a point where it's definitely watchable. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, That's all you can hope for, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> so I gave it a 4 out of 5 on average. That's a very good score. That's what I gave the first movie. And I liked this one more, so... I had to go with four and a half out of five. There you go. And I'm not gonna do I'm not gonna do five out of five because I'm leaving that little half a star space for if 1666 is fucking awesome, <laughs> which I don't know. Well, It'll depend I'd be on how they wrap it up. But very pleasantly surprised if that's the case. Oh yeah, it definitely looks just based on the little flash forward little trailer they give at the end. It looks like it could be the scariest one so far. So mm-hmm. I was getting vibes of. The Witch, obviously, because similar of time course. period, but also um, Midsummer, just because it was daytime, and I'm kind of like, I kind of, I would yes. love some of those vibes. <laughs> daytime. Yes, vibes. I would love it if <laughs> that would be amazing. Like have all that kind of May festival kind of stuff going on. We got some pilgrims dancing around in the daytime. I would love to see that. Broad daylight horror. I like it. I think that that was a really good episode. I think you did a great job. I think everyone should clap for Taylor if they're oh, out there. Clap for Taylor. <laughs> I love my cousin Taylor, and I'm so glad you were here. So thank you for doing this. Thank you for inviting me. This was very fun, and I was so excited after watching this episode or this this sequel film. Of course, because I liked it so much. I was like, "There's plenty to talk about here," and this is yeah. so great. Wouldn't that be great it. if it was terrible? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we would have. I mean, we could have just made jokes all the time about it. <laughs> oh, we could have. You're right. <laughs> all right. Well, hey, thank you for being on let's run that back this was a special episode um you can catch us on let's run that back on instagram let's run that back pod at gmail.com to let us know how great taylor was and also our website is let's run that back.com so then i'm cody and i'm taylor (laughs) thanks for listening you guys have a good one